Hello, everyone. This is Rico, and you're listening to another uh, podcast episode of Treks in Sci-Fi. This is going to be show number 582. It's April 10th, 2016. This week on the show, we're going to cover uh, a group of films, uh, an artist uh, or a filmmaker from the basically from the 70s, I guess. Uh, his name is Ralph Bakshi. I think that's how you say his last name. Uh, and there were uh, there was a group of animated films that he did back in the day that I enjoyed, and especially a couple of them in particular. And I thought uh, what we would do is go over some of his films, talk a little bit about them, and maybe for those that maybe have never checked out any of these Ralph Bakshi movies would uh, get you interested to, uh, to see them. Uh, one of the ones that I enjoy a lot that I'll talk more about is The Lord of the Rings animated movie which was uh back in that day was really the only uh the best and the only uh film version of the lord of the rings that we had around until peter jackson of course came around and created that uh huge saga of films and the hobbit and everything like that so that's going to be the main topic today we're also going to talk a little bit about uh some recent tv movies I'm going to comment briefly here at the beginning about the Rogue One new Star Wars movie for our that's coming out next uh, December. Going to comment a little bit about that uh, cool teaser trailer that came out just this week and a whole bunch more. So I hope you guys will enjoy this. It's a pretty early Sunday morning here in Michigan and I'm up and ready to do it. So to start out the show, let's play the Rogue One trailer. You can, uh, I mean, there's audio in here, you know, words being spoken, a lot of little scenes and music, but you'll get the gist, and I'm sure most people listening have already seen the trailer. So we're going to start that out with today's uh, podcast, and I'll come back and comment on it, and we'll get into the uh, main part of the show. Talk to you again in a minute after or so after this Rogue One trailer. State your name for the record. Jin Urso. Forgery of Imperial documents, possession of stolen property, aggravated assault, resisting arrest. On your own from the age of 15, reckless, aggressive, and undisciplined. This is a rebellion, isn't it? I rebel. We have a mission for you. A major weapons test is imminent. We need to know what it is and how to destroy it. Is that clear? Yes, sir. What will you do when they catch you? you do if they break you? If you continue to fight... What will you become? Yeah, so that's the uh, Rogue One uh, uh, trailer, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Uh, so I wonder what, what the, if they'll do an opening crawl with this or if they'll just forego that. That's an interesting question. I, I, 
I kind of hope they do, but I can understand if they don't, you know, to kind of separate it from the uh, episodes uh, one through seven and that style. But uh, yeah, this, this trailer is awesome. I mean, it's really, really good. It, it brings us back to the original trilogy time frame. You know, you have, this is happening, of course, right before episode four, right? This is the, uh, the storyline here is that these, uh, the mission is to steal the death, the plans to the Death Star, right? And, you know, the whole, many Bothans have died to bring this, this information. So where are the Bothans at? Uh, are they Bothans? Is the girl a Bothan? I don't know. Um, should I know uh, as a fan? <laughs> are Bothans not human looking? Who knows? So, um, the, uh, but the, but the, I really like the mood and the style of this, that it's very gritty. It, it, I called it kind of my first reaction to the, this trailer was like, it's a star Wars fan film, uh, dream come true, you know, because you have, this is the kind of stuff that the fan films have played around with, you know, things that are touched on or hinted on from the movies, uh, that were done in, in books or comics, uh, over the years, things that never had been filmed, but things that were, uh, brought up and commented on the movies that you know hey what what whatever you know happened to uh, Boba Fett after he fell in that Sarlacc pit he got out you know according to a lot of the uh, things that were written afterwards and how did they get those Death Star plans well this is going to tell us that so uh, it's really good though it's really good I I like the lead actress I saw her in that uh, uh, I've seen her in a couple films actually and I, I I've really been impressed by her. So, uh, yeah, this will be out next December. Uh, just, just again, the whole look of it, the whole style, it, it brings us back to the original trilogy. There is great-looking action. We've got AT-ATs. I mean, we've got the Death Star being finished, uh, and, and we've got some actors playing roles that we're familiar with, especially that lady playing Mon Mothma. I mean, she's just a dead ringer for the original. Although, you know, why don't she... Maybe she should get a new outfit. <laughs> it's like, you know, they're... Um, she's exactly like dressed like she was in like return of the jedi right so get her get her a new outfit but maybe that's just for us to make it make the connection better between uh the way she looks uh, or that the or the character i should say uh but uh but yeah i'm super excited for this i i'm probably as excited for this as i was for the force awakens i mean it's uh it's fun to to see different aspects aspects and in, in different characters and different things in Star Wars that those of us who have read the comics and books for for many many years have enjoyed. But now we get to see this on the big screen. You know, it doesn't follow uh, Luke or Leia or Han, or it doesn't follow even the prequel characters. It's a completely new set of characters, uh, and you know we're going to see some bits and things. Uh, and, and characters and people that we're familiar with. I'm not going to run all that down uh, that's out there. You know, you can find it probably on IMDb, who's playing characters that were, you know, that we know from the original trilogy and who are new characters and all that. So, but yeah, very, very excited for this. Looks, looks super cool. Uh, I think they're doing a fantastic job and it, it looks very, you know, Battlefront-like, very, uh, you know, rebellion. You know, I don't, I don't think we're gonna see any, you know, Jedi's lightsabers flying around or any of that stuff. I, I suppose we could see, you know, we could see Darth Vader, we could see the Emperor, uh, possibly, but I, I'm not sure. I think, you know, I think it would be good. It, w I mean, it would be okay to see them, but I think that they don't want to overdo that. So who, who knows how they'll work all that together and work it into this. Um, but yeah, it um, 
it looks great. I, I haven't heard. It's interesting about this movie. I, I haven't heard anybody really basically saying from this trailer uh, that, you know, it's, oh, no, that looks dumb or there's a problem or any of that. I, I think this is uh, we're, we're in unknown or, uh, or new territory, unknown uh, stuff here in a way. And, and this gives them a lot of opportunity. Of course, you know, we know they steal the Death Star plans. We know they're successful, but we don't know the details. We don't know who lives, who dies. We don't know how they exactly do it. We don't know uh, anything, you know, really, except, hey, there's a little data disk at one point that uh, gets slipped into R2 or whatever, you know. It, it, um, it's, it's, it's really cool. I, I'm very excited. Uh, and it's great. I mean, we just had a, a, a really good Star Wars movie in December this a uh, few months ago, and we're going to get this movie next December. And then the following December of uh, 2017, of course, we get Episode 8, uh, which, again, was originally going to come out next summer, but they pushed it to uh, the end of uh, the year to Christmas time again. Uh, basically, I think they just wanted to give themselves more time. I don't remember if there was another reason or not, uh, if it was competing with anything else or any of that stuff. So, yeah, cool, cool uh, time to be a Star Wars fan, that's for sure. Uh, after all these years, getting some really good stuff, it looks like. And, uh, yeah, and the Clone Wars. Speaking of Star Wars, I guess we can spin off. I'm actually not going to talk too much about it because I think I'm going to join the Star Wars stacks, folks. Uh, Chris, Jen, and Joe soon to do a, a commentary or do a, a discussion about Season 2 of Rebels. But, boy, that last episode of Season 2 was fantastic. Ahsoka, Vader, uh, a character that we haven't seen in a while shows up. Uh, it, it's it's really, really good. It's an hour-long one and very well put together. And, I, again, I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm sure we'll talk about it when we do our stack show. And I think I'm going to release that on Trex and Sci-Fi in a few weeks as well. We're going to record that. I think the idea was next weekend. I think we're going to record it. But uh, I'll talk more about that towards the end of today's show. So, uh what else? Uh, let me take a very, very short break here, and I'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about TV movies and those kinds of things, and then we'll talk about the Ralph Bakshi films that I wanted to cover uh, as the main topic this week. I'll be back in a moment. Hello, I am not Jen. And I am most certainly not Angela. And you are not listening to the Anomaly Podcast. But you are listening to Treks and Sci-Fi with our good friend Rico Dosti. And when you're finished with... When you're finished, <laughs> when you are done listening to Rico, you can head on over to the Anomaly Podcast. That's A N O M A L Y Podcast.com. Fangirls with the Moses. The socially functional fangirls who walk on the wild side. All right, TV. I won't talk too much about TV. It's, uh, it's uh, been moving along. I mean, I, I had a show recently that talked about some of my favorite TV shows. Uh, I think I even missed a few. Um, but uh, everything's pretty much on still, although a few things are winding down and finishing off. I think we have a couple of episodes of Supergirl left, uh, a couple of Limitless. Uh, we've got a few of the Arrow, Flash, DC Legends shows to go. Uh, some big stuff have been ha has been happening on those shows, especially something this past week on Arrow. Uh, I, I won't spoil anything, but uh, and Sleepy Hollow, I think, just aired its last episode on Friday. I didn't watch that. It's sitting on my TiVo. And Walking Dead. Oh, Walking Dead. I, I don't think I talked much. Did I talk much about Walking Dead on my TV show thing? I, I, I don't know if I... I don't think I did that much. 
but boy, that last episode of the season, it um, it got a lot of people kind of upset. There, it kind of ended in a not a surprise here, I, I guess, and it won't be really a spoiler, but it it's kind of a cliffhanger type ending, and it, it uh, I wasn't happy with it. Let's just say, and I know a lot of people were not happy with the way they did that. Cliffhangers, I think, are okay and can work, but I think it depends on some circumstances. For example. Uh, this storyline in The Walking Dead was already done in comics, so they, you know, they've. Uh, if they follow what happened in comics, we already basically know the ending for those of us who have read the comics. But they could uh, certainly change it, twist, and and, and all alter that. They've not followed the comics to the letter of the you know law of the comic and what's happened exactly. So it certainly could change. But it, I just felt like for an hour and a half episode for a season finale, it was a bit of a cheat. And, and and a cheap shot really to to not not show us what happened and it happened a couple times this past season. I mean, I love the show. I love the characters. It's very intense, and it, it it's there's a big bunch of suspense that's built up in this last season finale episode, and it's sort of anticlimactic because it doesn't you don't get sort of a resolution exactly, uh, and and that I think is you feel kind of cheated and left out it's kind of like uh ordering uh you know going out to a nice fancy fancy restaurant ordering dinner and only getting like half of it you know it's it's it just is not um not the way i think they should have done it and you know if they're doing this kind of stuff to get viewers to come back i mean the, the show is highly rated you know a lot of people watch this show i don't think that should be a concern i think the concern should be to make make the best type of episode possible and I, I think this was the wrong move, very much so. And I think they did that earlier in the season with something else that happened involving one of the main characters that uh, they made it look one way and it turned out to be a different way. And it was very misleading. And I thought it was a cheap, that was also a cheap play too, a little bit. Um, I think they, yeah. So I still think the show is great. Uh, I'll certainly be watching when it comes back in whenever, October. Uh, you know, six months, we've got to wait about uh you know from what april to uh october yeah it's about six months we've got to wait to uh to find out what happened exactly there's a lot of theories uh i'm still kind of going with uh for those that know i'm still going with i think they're going to do it the same way they did in the in the comics that's my guess so um that's kind of cryptic for those that don't know but I, again i don't want to spoil anything that's my guess the way it'll go um also on that front uh the fear of the walking dead that's the name of it, right? Fear the Walking Dead. Um, I watched the first season of that, the first short season. Some people didn't really seem to care for it that much. This is the show that goes back in time to the very, very early days of of when this outbreak or whatever you want to call it happens to a group of people. So I'm going to tune in. Uh, you know, the first season was okay. It didn't grab me as much as The Walking Dead did. Um but I'm gonna I'm gonna tune in for an episode or two of the second season and see what the, how they play it now, uh, and we'll we'll see we'll see. And then Game of Thrones is gonna be back soon. I'm very excited by that. Uh, that that's the other show that it's hard to watch, but it's so good and so well produced and done and and such great characters. It's uh, it, it's uh, it's a very interesting show because it's also in, it's similar to The Walking Dead, where there are comics for The Walking Dead. Of course, there are the George R. R. Martin books for uh, Game of Thrones, and you know they're getting basically they're getting into territory in the in the show that they haven't done in the books. So it's it's becoming an interesting situation for them. And again, another thing where the 
books and the television HBO television show, they don't exactly line up completely. So uh, we'll see what they do when what George you know has told them and how they're going to play things uh, on that uh, show and series. And we've got some new things actually popping up, new mid-season shows. There's one called Containment. Uh, that's going to be on the CW about sort of an outbreak uh, disease kind of a thing. That seems to be one of the big, I don't know, television movie things that they keep doing over and over again. Uh, but the, the the interesting point about that one for me, uh, besides it being on the CW, which I think is just has some of the best shows around, uh, I, I certainly probably watch more shows on the CW network than I do on any other network. I mean, all, all the superhero stuff, except for Supergirl. Uh, is is on that network. Uh, plus, you have the the vampire shows. I watch those, Vampire Diaries and the originals. So uh, so yeah, a lot of good stuff. Uh, but um, but anyway, yeah, we're gonna see what happens uh, here. We with um, with this uh, new show. Oh, I was gonna say um, Claudia Black from Farscape and Stargate SG One is going to be one of the main characters, a doctor on this containment show that the CW is doing. I think it starts on April 19th, so I guess that's a, a week from this coming week, a week from Tuesday here in the States. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, that's uh, a new show starting. I tried to watch, uh, I watched the first episode of Winona Earp uh, on the Sci-Fi Channel. It was okay. Uh, I'm going to give it another show or two. Uh, I, I'm trying really hard, unless a show is really grabbing me. I've got so many things that I'm watching. Oh, I'm also watching, of course, which is probably the most fun lately. Uh, I'm watching season two of Daredevil. I'm about on, on episode nine or so of that. I think I got about, what is it, about four more to go, four or five. I think there's 12 or 13. I think season two has been great. I've been, it, It's different than season one, but I'm really enjoying it. And, I, I, you know, they brought in, this isn't a spoiler because it's out in the trailers. They brought in, of course, the Punisher character. They brought in Elektra. And yeah, it's it's been really good. Uh, I, I I really enjoy that show a lot. Okay, let me. Uh, we're almost twenty minutes into the podcast, so let's get into uh, the films of Ralph Bakshi. Uh, what I'll do here, let's start out with. Uh, I think I'll just start out with a um, a trailer to probably my favorite of his films, which I mentioned in the early part of the show. It's the animated Lord of the Rings uh, film that he did. Uh, I'll play a trailer for that. You'll get a feel for that a little bit. And then I'll come back and run down his movies. That movie was not his earliest. Uh, it, it's not chronologically the first one he did, but it's probably the most probably the most famous, I would say, or the most popular wide, you know, public, popular with the general public. And, uh, again, probably my favorite of the what he did. So um, I'm going to play that, and then I'll come back and I'll run down, play some other trailers from some of the other movies, talk about them each a little bit, and give you a rundown of the other stuff in the other films of Ralph Bakshi. So here is the trailer uh, to uh, The Lord of the Rings uh, here on Treks in Sci-Fi. The ring is evil. It will corrupt and destroy anyone who wears it. What will you do with the One Ring, Frodo? The Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien's acclaimed fantasy adventure comes to life on Blu-ray and DVD. They must send the ring to Mandoon. I would take the burden. The ring started a war. Our time is at hand. Created new enemies. Where is it, Gandalf? And united good friends. This is time to gather together. We're going with you, Frodo. Now the journey of the ring has led here. A new age is upon us. 
Ralph Bakshi's animated epic rises to new heights on an all-new deluxe edition DVD, including a look at the groundbreaking techniques that made it a masterpiece of animation. If we lose Proto, we lose Middle Earth. The war has begun. It's too great a matter for me. Give it to Smeagol. One ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One ring to bring them all. And in the darkness, find them. Buy The Lord of the Rings on Blu-ray Combo Pack. Includes Blu-ray and DVD. So that's the trailer to, well, it's more of a preview for the Blu-ray uh, DVD combo pack that came out, uh, which I actually just picked up recently uh, for the Lord of the Rings, the Ralph Bakshi film from uh, 1978 is when that was released. Uh, so um, let me give you a little background on Ralph Bakshi, because I think he has a really interesting uh, early life, and, 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 you know, people are uh, a product of their of their upbringing, what they're exposed to, and so forth. So I, I think he's a real interesting character. Uh, he was um, he was born in 1938, uh, just a couple of days before Halloween, on October 29th, uh, 1938, actually. Uh, born, uh, he, he's from a Jewish family. He was born in Israel. But just a year after he was born, they, uh, his family immigrated to New York City to escape World War II. He grew up in uh, the Brownsville neighborhood of Brooklyn, uh, they lived in a very low-rent apartment, didn't have very much money. Uh, back, she became very fascinated with uh, urban life in the city. As a child, he enjoyed comics, and uh, also because he wasn't very, didn't have much money, he, he would dig through trash cans and things to just find comics and read those. So he definitely became interested in, in comic-style art and, and uh, that kind of look and animation early on. They uh, they moved uh, back and forth a little bit through to Washington D.C. for a little bit, and then uh, moved to a a black neighborhood there uh, called Foggy Bottom. And basically, he was uh, it was one of it was an interesting, weird kind of situation, and he was like one of the only white uh, kids around, and ended up at a um, ended up at a school for a while. Uh, where he was the only white student in in the in I don't think in the completely in the school, but in a lot of his classes. Uh, but the students, as I'm recounting some of this from uh, Wikipedia, didn't have too much trouble with him. But uh, the teachers did, and they were they were afraid for him, and uh, so they they eventually removed him from uh, that class or that school, and he eventually ended up at um, at a school, uh, the Manhattan School of Industrial Art. Uh, later on in his life, he uh, going back just a little bit around at the age of 15, he had discovered this uh, uh, complete guide to cartooning book at the public library by uh, Gene Burns. And he actually, uh, <laughs> I think he stole it says here he stole a copy of the book from the library. And he and he started to take up cartooning and it started to draw a lot. And he also uh, was a little bit of a boxer during his teenage years. He's a, a fairly short, stocky guy. And um, he, uh, as he says during his high school time, he was mo- mostly focused on broads, mouthing off, and doodling. Uh, he 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 was a bit of a rebel, I guess. And he was in food fights, and he was uh, caught smoking at the school, and. And eventually, like I said, he was at this one school, but eventually ended up at this Manhattan School of Industrial Art, which actually was a good thing for him because he graduated 
the school um, in 1956 with an award in cartooning. And then, uh, in you know, when he was in his you know late teens, early twenties, he started to connect up with uh, different people in the cartoon industry. Uh, a guy named uh, Cosmo Anzaletti, I think that's how you say his name. Uh, and uh, they also recommended uh, Bakshi to a production manager named Frank Shuda. And uh, Bakshi was hired as a cell polisher. This was back in, you know, before computers when animation was drawn by hand. And he was required, or one of his real low-level position that Bakshi had, he had to remove dirt and dust from these animation cells. Uh, so um, after a few months, this Shutter guy was surprised that Bakshi was still showing up for work since it was very hard work and tedious and it wasn't paying very much. But then he pr promoted Bakshi to a cell painter which gave him practice animating, uh, gave him more time, and, and he uh, he uh, he was really getting good at it, and he was getting connected, and, and he was not really noticed until he slipped in some cells of his own, and he was called and shut his office because the cells had been painted on the wrong side. Uh, they, uh, they eventually... Uh, really were impressed by the kind of work he was doing and and this kind of led to um, his ability to start working on some of the films and work that he had in mind that he wanted to do. So the uh, one of uh, Bakshi's earliest works that that people point to uh, is is a film called Fritz the Cat, which sounds like you know maybe it's some kind of like, kitty movie but it really it isn't it's not <laughs> it's not a uh, it's not a kid movie i'm trying to find out real quickly here um what it's rated i think it was rated r uh let me give you a little background on this one of his early movies here i think that's what it was the case if i remember right it's been a long time uh since i've seen this uh oh actually let's see it was rated and it was rated x because uh, so, there's a lot of, frankly, there's a lot of sex and that kind of and violence in this movie, but it but it was very uh, much a breakthrough film, and you know the animation and the style of it was was very unique and different and nothing like it had really been done before. I I would say uh, it's a 90 minute approximately movie, uh, and it it's you know keep in mind this this came out uh, when did it come out? It came out. I, I'm trying to find the exact date it came out. Uh, da, 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 da. It was released, okay, here we go, on April 12th, 1972. Uh, it became the most successful independent animated feature, feature of all time at that period. Uh, and uh, it was actually released the same time Bakshi's daughter Victoria was born. So it's um, it's a real interesting movie. Uh, again, it's, it's not for kids by any means. But I'm going to play, I'm going to find something here on YouTube here, and I'll play a little trailer or clip from uh, Fritz the Cat since it's such a uh, seminal kind of work and certainly associated with uh, Bakshi uh, quite a bit. And it cost uh, not a huge amount of money, although maybe at the time it was, um, I guess, it's, let's see, it's I'm seeing about an $850,000 budget which sounds like a lot, or it sounds like, sorry, not very much, but at the time I think was was pretty big for an animated film. But let me play a clip for you, and I'll come back and talk a little bit more about this. Could I get to search the girls? <laughs> yeah, I, I've done enough of that. Hey, you old scroungy old 
Alley cat, get out of them garbage cans, ha-ha. You talking to me, Jack? What the hell are you doing there anyway? Hey, man, here we are in the brink of the apocalypse, the eve of destruction, so to speak, and I can't think of anything to do. Well, offhand, son, I'd say you have got a problem. Yeah. Ha-ha. But at least you're honest. The revolution can use a man like you. Hey. Hop on. Far out. Yeah, that's not really a great little teaser trailer thing there to Fritz the Cat. There, there's a longer trailer that's that's got a little language in it, so I didn't want to play that on the podcast. But you can find clips and things of the movie on YouTube. Uh, again, it's uh, it, it's rated X. It's not a uh, not a, kid, a kids movie by any means, and uh, and probably not a movie for everyone. I think I've only seen it a couple of times. I haven't seen it in recently at all, and it's uh, but it's it's. It's very interesting and a very much a product of that era and that time, and it was pretty well thought of actually. For you know, these days I don't know if you can even imagine. Uh, we're so in the political correct world now, where even a movie that's rated R that comes out gets, you know, people people hate it or pe- there's always a group that's a problem. I can't even imagine a movie like Fritz the Cat coming out to theaters. I I, I mean, do they even release X-rated films to? Um, to regular theaters anymore i don't think so that i that i can think of um but uh but this movie actually got pretty good acclaim variety called it amusing diverting handsomely executed poke at youthful attitudes uh it was a breakthrough movie another guy says that opened brand new vistas for commercial animation in the united states uh it's it's a very accurate portrayal of a certain uh stratum of uh western society somebody else says here so uh, again, I, I, I kind of sometimes miss the days where there was more experimenting and interesting things going on. I used to go to this, um, I don't even know if they do it. I, I suppose they still do it, but I've lost touch with if it shows up in, in Michigan ever. But there, for, for quite a few years, there was this animation uh, film kind of collection that would come around. It was basically like animated films winners of animated films for the year some kind of collection of animated shorts uh usually and nothing more than about 15 or 20 minutes long i remember back in the 80s seeing these a lot at, at a local art theater uh in royal oak michigan uh, but uh very cool and very experimental experimental kind of stuff kind of like what you see in like heavy metal magazine or, or those kinds of illustrated magazines uh, with some just really kind of unusual groundbreaking animation and interesting thoughts and ideas. And it's just not, it, I guess online these days is where that's happening, where people put out stuff like that uh, on uh, Vimeo or YouTube or whatever. But, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a shame sometimes that we don't have more unusual and experimental stuff happening in movie theaters. I was thinking about this a little bit related to this new movie that came out called Hardcore Henry, uh, which is sort of this almost action shooter type video game looking movie from a first person point of view. I'm very interested to see it. I don't know if I'll get a chance and go out to see it at the movie theater, but I, I, I commend them for trying something a little different. You know, they, they kind of threw a little bit of that in, in that Doom movie with The Rock a few years ago. But, I again, I, I hope, I mean, movies are supposed to be an art form. And uh, for how much I still enjoy, you know, Star Wars films and, you know, some of the comic book movies, 
even though I still didn't really enjoy that much Batman versus Superman or as much as I had hoped it would, uh, you know, impress me. I still wish that we had more of this kind of stuff happening. Uh, let's go to another movie. Uh, we'll go down kind of, uh, he doesn't really, frankly, have a huge catalog of movies. So I'm going to briefly talk about, uh, most of them, some more than others. There was another one that came out, uh, not too long after Fritz the Cat. Uh, Fritz the Cat came out again in 1972. The next movie on his list is called Heavy Traffic. Uh, this also is, um, a rated X film. Uh, and, and it kind of a, a follow-up in a way to, to Fritz the Cat, but from a different point of view, there there's uh, a lot of uh, you know there there's a lot of uh, Harlem and New York areas shown in this movie. Characters from what uh, Ralph had experienced growing up in that area, uh, black people and or African American and uh, and just a very city oriented uh, film. Most of his are with a lot of music and uh, violence and sex, of course, and things. So, uh, so this again is, is something that, um, that is very unusual and different. Uh, it was listed by the New York times, heavy traffic ranked it as one of the 10 best films of 1973. So th just think about that. <laughs> I mean, it, it is, uh, he was he was really you know Ralph Bakshi is one of those guys and characters that people either really liked or res and respected or or people were just the other complete end of it and said he was doing trash and, and it shouldn't be out. Uh, I, I'm I'm kind of more of course thinking he's an, a very interesting artist. I enjoy some of his stuff, not all of his stuff as much as others, uh, but I I definitely think he's he's somebody who's worthy of a look. Uh, if you're into film and especially film animation, uh, if you've never seen some of this stuff, you definitely owe it to yourself to give it a shot. Uh, let us play, I think I'll play something from Heavy Traffic here, one of the clips, uh, trailer clips I found on YouTube. So I'll play that for you and I'll be back in a moment. Ready or not, here it comes. The makers of Fritz the Cat now bring you Heavy Traffic. It's the story of Michael, a 24-year-old pinball-playing virgin. Mick Jagger, I'm not. Angie, his Italian father. Ida, his Jewish mother. I died the day I married a guy. Okay, Ida, come on. This is it. Sing it up, His black sweetheart. Now listen here, boy. As long as Carol got this here good thing and this here left, <laughs> she don't need anything else. You'll meet Molly, Rosa, Snowflake, Shorty, Crazy Mo, and the Godfather. You'll meet hoods, hustlers, freaks, creeps, cops, crazies, weirdos, winos, hard hats, lowlifes, and God. Hey, this is the voice of God. What's up? It's animated, but it's not a cartoon. It's funny, but it's not a comedy. It's real. It's unreal. It's heavy. Heavy traffic.
Yeah, so that one, uh, that's an interesting one, too. I think I've only watched that one once, but I, I, it's, uh, it's something I need to revisit. Uh, really interesting stuff in there. And in these, even in these early ones, especially heavy traffic, you see a mix where uh, Bakshi's playing with animation. Uh, he's, he's slipping in live-action clips. He's twisting the way the live-action looks a little bit. And a lot of this is setting up uh, what he does in later films, there, there, there's a lot of he. He does not do traditional animation by any means. He, he, uh, the big thing they started to do later uh, that was done uh, for um, a couple of movies was uh, a process called uh, rotoscoping, which he would take a uh, live action. He would film people doing something live action, horseback riding or, or fighting or whatever, and then he would rotoscope it, which would make it look somewhat animated to slide it into an animated movie where it was uh, too cost prohibitive to film it uh, like you would in reality. He did this quite a bit in the movie Wizards. He did it in the Lord of the Rings movie. And he did it a little bit in these early films too. So, uh, so that uh, I think is worth noting and and talking about. Uh, let's see. Let's go on to his next one was called Coonskin. I don't think I've ever watched this one. It's kind of a black exploitation film. Uh, it uh, it didn't get reviewed very well. Uh, it's um, probably still worth watching at some point. I'll need to check it out. Uh, but uh, the uh, this one came out I think in 1974. Five, uh, yeah, it looks like he worked on it from '73 to '75, uh, but um, I'm not going to play a whole lot on that because I don't know that much about that one. Uh, but uh, it was not again; it, it was supposed to be, uh, you know, using uh, a lot of African American actors and voices. Uh, but uh, that's probably a movie we'll we'll skip over a little bit in this list. Um, there was another uh, next one up. I guess we'll we'll go to um, uh, called uh, yeah. Next up, uh, I had to take a quick pause there for a second. Sorry. Uh, next one is called Hey, Good Looking. Uh, this is uh, set during the fifties, Brooklyn in the fifties. It's a uh, lead character is Vinny. He's a member of a gang called the Stompers. His uh, friend Crazy Shapiro and their girlfriends Roz and Eva. Uh, this, this is a very music-oriented uh, 50s kind of rock and roll kind of movie. This one's kind of uh, got a lot of fun, I think, going on. It opened in New York. Uh, the movie came out in October 1st, 1982. We're jumping a little timeline a bit. Uh, but this this movie was sort of a precursor to the movie Cool World, which is one of the later Bakshi films that we'll talk about here shortly. But uh, where there was a, a quite a bit of interaction in this movie between animation and live live action, he wanted to create this uh, illusion of uh, a kind of making it like a, a completely live action movie, but um, with with animated bits of it too. It's it's a lot about uh, the streets of New York and and gangs and music and. And rock and roll, like I said. Uh, but let me play uh, the trailer to this one, Hey Good Looking, uh, from Ralph Bakshi. It was 1953 in Brooklyn, New York. The Stompers were the number one gang in town. Vinny was their leader. 
say, baby, you look mighty fine. Just take a number and wait in line, cause I'm Crazy Shapiro was Vinny's best friend. And then there was Rossi. From the creator of Fritz the Cat comes a rock and rollin' animated movie. Hey, good looking. If a Fompo's on Nigga Beach looking for me, it's official business. Official business. Right? Right. Right. Hey, wait a minute. What kind of official business? Hey. What kind of official business? That's the rumble. One dark day, life was about to change for Vinny. Would his gang help him fight the chaplains, or would he and Crazy have to face them alone? You stompers are all shit! Now me and Crazy gonna fight these chaplains alone! Vinny's being tired of being stepped on! The rock and roll soundtrack of great original songs. Hey, good looking is the year's funniest, raunchiest, and most action-packed animated movie. Good looking. Rated 18 from PTC. Hey, good looking. You made it. If you think animation is kid stuff, you better rap with me. So, in the roughly like mid 70s, 75 or so, uh, Ralph Bakshi shifted to do fantasy films. He had a few, couple of. Uh, that he wanted to do and was working on. Uh, the first one was uh, War. He called it War Wizards. This is an animated fantasy film that eventually just became uh, the title Wizards. Actually, uh, George Lucas asked him to remove the title War off of it because, of course, he was working on Star Wars at the time, which was going to come out in 1977, and they didn't want any confusion between um, the two uh you know the two films at all not not that they were anywhere close i mean star wars in outer space fantasy kind of epic uh thing and uh, wizards is a very animated high fantasy a story of an uh, you know apocalyptic time on earth where magic and 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 wizards battle it out um so but they were both uh being done and uh backed by 20th century fox so that that's part of the reason why they tried to keep these things separated. Uh, the um, this again was the time where rotoscoping took uh, took a big part of the movie or became a big part of his films, especially in Wizards and, like I said earlier, Lord of the Rings. And basically, to describe this, I mean, you can find some information online about it, but uh, it's kind of a, 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 a like I described. What you film, you film the live action, and then it's projected onto a. Uh, uh, like a, a frosted glass area where animators can then draw over the, the live action and you can kind of then uh, composite the images together. This eventually is later uh, is done these days in a, in a way done uh, all digitally, 
but they did this by hand and a very, very time-consuming, painstaking kind of process. Uh, but it was a way to, to, you know, like I said, create some scenes and things much more inexpensively than if you actually had to uh, either completely animate them, a lot, a lot more tedious and difficult, or, or do them obviously in live action completely uh, with costuming and sets and all that. You know, you could draw a guy riding some kind of a horse in a fantasy setting. You could give him some kind of weird uh, armor and weapons. You could create a castle and things behind him, but none of it you would have to actually build. You would just have a guy on a, a regular guy on a horse riding along, and then you would draw everything else on top of that image or around it or whatever in addition to it. So uh, he used this for this movie, Wizards, uh, which this movie came out in 1977. The interesting thing about changing the name from War Wizards to just Wizards, he kind of made a little bit of a deal and Ralph Bakshi with uh, Lucas that he wanted to use Mark Hamill in the movie Wizards. So Mark Hamill's actually got a credit. He did one of the voices in the movie Wizards. Wizards, uh, between that and Lord of the Rings, are probably the two Bakshi films that I've seen the most. This is basically a movie about the, like I said, the in, in a post-apocalyptic future, and it sort of blends World War II uh, with Middle Earth together uh, to a degree. You have this pint-sized, very small wizard named Avatar. He's trying to save the world using, uh, you know, his magic, good magic, against these uh, a band of these fascist mutants. Uh, that were controlled by his evil twin brother, uh, Black Wolf, who likes to confuse the enemies by projecting films of Hitler. And, and this is all, again, very much uh, because of uh, Bakshi's uh, life and his upbringing and the reason his family fled to the U.S. Uh, during the early days of World War II. It, it definitely had an influence on him, and he created this fantasy film around this. Uh, Wizards is a, is a really cool film. It gets a little tedious in places, I would say, uh, and but I but I love the animation. I like the ideas, uh, and it, it's, it's a very interesting piece of work. I, I highly recommend you, you check this out sometime if you've never seen it. And let me play uh, one of the clips or trailers from the movie Wizard, which again came out in 19, 1977, uh, written by Ralph Bakshi, directed by Ralph Bakshi. And, you know, pretty much he, he's the one that did it. It had only a budget of about um, a million two, a million two hundred thousand dollars. Uh, again, came out in uh, February of 1977. So here's a little bit from Wizards uh, from Ralph Bakshi. There will come a time on the planet Earth when science and technology will be long forgotten. When humanity will rise from the ashes of nuclear holocaust when wizards will rule the world. 20th Century Fox presents Wizards, a futuristic fantasy epic born in the mind of Ralph Bakshi, the master of animated magic. It is the story of two brothers, Avatar and Black Wolf, powerful wizards and mortal enemies from the day they were born. Avatar, the good, who rules the peaceful kingdom of Montagar with wisdom. Science and technology were outlawed millions of years ago. And magic. Black Wolf, the future Fuhrer. Attention! Behold! Who rediscovers the ancient secrets of propaganda. 
technology and war and sends out his muted armies in a reign of unimaginable terror in wizards you will also meet the lovely princess Eleanor the loyal elf Weehawk and peace Black Wolf's evil robot henchman who is transformed into an avenging instrument of justice. Wizards is a Tolkien world of fairies and elves, sorcerers, and demons. It is shot 10 million years from now against strange and huge panoramic settings. And it is more fantastic, more enchanting, and more powerful than anything you've seen before. Wizards, the ultimate futuristic fantasy epic. So, yeah, that's a, that's a real good movie, real interesting. Uh, it's one I watch every, you know, I don't know, five years, five, ten years, maybe, or so. <laughs> and it's... It's really a weird movie, and like a lot of Bakshi's films, there there there's no really kind of way easy way to describe them or talk about them. You just kind of have to experience them if if it interests you. All right, next we get to what I again I feel is my favorite of his, probably the most commercial one, uh, definitely I would say, uh, which is his adaptation of the Lord of the Rings. Um, this movie was supposed to have actually have been. Uh, gonna gonna be like a, a group of films a couple of films at least uh but they never did a follow-up to it uh they tried to I, I guess he crammed in uh the first book you know bits of the, the of the second and, and, and he tried to squish it all together and it just kind of ends unfortunately and uh it he never had a follow-up which was a little disappointing uh, but uh but it's a very interesting movie uh it um it spent about, I think this one cost him maybe about $3 million to make. I'll have to look in a second here uh, about it. But um, I already played a, uh, a trailer to this at the beginning earlier on uh, on today's show. Uh, didn't I or did I? No, I guess I didn't. I think I did. Yeah, when I, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I played that uh, before we got into the backsheet talk. I played the uh, Lord of the Rings uh, bit. So I don't need to play anything more for you. It, uh, I, I like it. I like it a lot. I like the music. I like the feel. I like the look. Uh, the rotoscoping, I think, turns off some people a little bit. But, you know, you got to keep in mind that this was a movie that, uh, that was all we ever had for fantasy. This, this came out in 1978, really in, in, in the, in the heyday, uh, or the early days of the, uh, the role-playing game, the tabletop role-playing game, Dungeons and Dragons. So fantasy and and Tolkien were really popular and really big, especially at that time. So for this movie to come out, then I, I think w- was it was a big deal. And uh, you know he he was trying to again keep all of this in one movie. That turned into an impossible idea. He uh, he shot actors, you know, in orc type costumes. Uh, he secretly did some of this, uh, and as they were just moving around the set lot and, and, and the craft services table. And he actually used some of this footage in the movie rotoscoped, of course. Uh, and, 
and it's just a, an interesting uh, event. Uh, I guess, okay, never mind. I, I, I thought it was only a three, but it's about $4 million to produce it. Uh, it grossed about $30 million. Uh, the studio, studio, though, still refused to fund the sequel, which would have finished off the story. The uh, This film, The Lord of the Rings, by Bakshi, won the Golden Griffin Award at uh, a 1980 film festival. Uh, again, probably one of his most popular pieces of work. Uh, there was uh, there was a little conflict at the time where John Borman was going to be supposedly contracted uh, around the 76 time frame, 77 time frame, to direct a, a live action version of uh, Lord of the Rings. Uh, so, uh, but that didn't end up happening, and they had spent this money on a screenplay and so forth, and uh, and again, uh, didn't have anything. So, uh, so they did this animated version with Bakshi and uh, I again I think this is a really cool movie uh, very much worth watching if you're a fan of Tolkien and Lord of the Rings some people now with uh, the Peter Jackson stuff I think kind of can dismiss it uh, but uh, it, it I don't think you you really should I think there this is a movie that's was interesting for its time and still has a lot going for it I, I, I like uh, the look I think, frankly, I think there's a lot of stuff that that is similar that was used in here, to the to the look and feel that I get from uh, even the Peter Jackson movies. It's hard to describe, but I, I've watched this movie a lot, and when I saw Lord of the Rings, especially the the first one, uh, the first Lord of the Rings trilogy by Jackson, I, there's just a lot of stuff here that that feels very similar. Now, of course, it's it's the same story, right? So it should seem kind of similar. But it's uh, it's something that I uh, I, I think that uh, Peter Jackson certainly took some notes here and watched this movie. Not that he copied anything or anything like that, but I uh, there's just something about it that I, I get a similar similar feel for uh, for this. But uh, I especially I think what I could play for you now is I especially enjoy the music to this movie. I, I think the mu- music is very very uh, fits the movie. It's very sweeping. And it was a soundtrack uh, that I got and played a lot back in the day when we were playing uh, Dungeons and Dragons. I would I would pull out this soundtrack and play it because it sets a very fantasy type mood, and it um, it fits very well with uh, the you know Tolkien uh, time and era and story along with um, any fantasy-type uh, situation, I think. But, uh, yeah, let me play a little uh, music by... Um, the music is by, uh, I think it's uh, Leonard... Yeah, Leonard Rose, Roseman. Rosenman. There's an N in there. Rosenman. And I can remember having this on uh, on, a mu- on an album, a uh, vinyl album. And, and, again, I would I recorded it a lot of the day, the time back in, uh, you know, when people had records in vinyl a lot. Before CDs, I would record uh, my records onto uh, cassette tapes and then play the tapes because much more convenient, much more easy, and less wearing on the records that way rather than to continue to play the vinyl records because if you're not really all that much of a record vinyl person, the needles that uh, drag across vinyl records and you, when you, you know, that's how they're played, it eventually wears them out, it wears them down. Uh, even cassette tapes will wear out, but uh, you can always make a new cassette. You know, if you play a record, I would, I would get albums, um, and within one or two plays of them, I would be recording them onto cassette, so I didn't wear the records out. Uh, but I would play this cassette a lot, like I said, playing, uh, playing D and D, 
and it always worked real well. So here's a little bit of music from Lord of the Rings, and then I'll come back and we'll finish off uh, a few of the other movies uh, from uh, Ralph Bakshi, things like uh, Fire and Ice and Cool World. Both of those I still definitely want to cover, but uh, here's some music from The Lord of the Rings by Leonard Rosenman. hope you like that uh i always thought that uh is a very good like you know you're you're walking somewhere and uh or you're going on a big epic journey it just uh works so well i think uh music uh by Leonard rosamond for the lord of the rings ralph bakshi film yeah check out the film check out that music when you get a chance all right two uh two that i'm going to go through kind of quickly two other movies uh by ralph and he did tv he did other stuff but I wanted to at least get these in uh, before we end uh, the show today uh, on this topic. Uh, the other one uh, that I wanted to mention is um, it's called uh, Fire and Ice. This is a, a, another a- adventure fantasy film, it, it, kind of in collaboration with Frank Franzetta, 
with uh, with who is a, uh, a very well known uh, fantasy artist. Uh, he uh, he was involved in this. Produced one of the producers. Uh, this movie came out in 1983. Cost 1.2 million. Only made about uh, 750 thousand at the box office. It's uh, 81 minutes long. Uh, it's um, basically uh, follows a couple of characters. Uh, well, I guess I could run run through the short print, prints, or, or sorry, uh, plot. Why did I say prints? <laughs> I think because is there a prince in this movie? There's a queen. Anyway, here's the sort of brief synopsis from Wikipedia on this. Uh, from their stronghold in Ice Peak, the evil queen Juliana uh, and her son Nec- or Necron? Necron send forth a wave of glaciers forcing humanity to retreat south towards the equator. Necron sends a de- delegation to King Geral in Firekeep to request his surrender, but this is a ruse orchestrated by Queen Juliana for Necron subhumans to kidnap Geral's barefoot daughter, princess Atigra, and um julianne feels that necron should take a bride to produce an heir uh Tigra makes an escape and comes upon larn uh played by randy norton a young warrior and the only survivor of a village raised by the glaciers who offers to uh escort her back to fire keep uh, as Tigra is Tigra, sorry, is recaptured. Larn teams with the mysterious dark wolf to save Tigra and then travel to ice peak to stop juliana Dark Wolf faces Necron, and so forth. Uh, I don't want to say too much more because that gets into some spoiler territory. This is a cool movie, uh, a, a neat animated film, very fantasy oriented, of course, uh, with some good performances and good action and, and, and some good, cool stuff. I've seen this two or three times probably. It's been a while again. Um, came out in the early 80s, like I said, uh, and worth watching. I'm not going to play a clip from this one. Uh, again, you can find some of this stuff on YouTube. I think, you can, heck, you can find, I think, even the whole movies there. Uh, although sometimes you got to pay for them. You know, uh, YouTube has that situation. Uh, let's go and, and talk about one other one that uh, I, I think is really interesting for a couple of reasons. This one's called Cool World. This is another Bakshi movie. He was the director uh, he didn't work on the writing on this at all, but the a cool a couple things about this: this is very much a who, uh, a who framed Roger Rabbit kind of a movie, where there's a a much more um, blend of live action, quite a bit of live action with fantasy uh, and animated effort or animated efforts, animated uh, characters drawn into it. Uh, you actually have some pretty big stars and celebrities in this movie too, which Ralph did not really get for most of his movies. Uh, big names, well, they're they're I guess bigger names now a little bit, although back then they weren't as big a name. This came out in 1992. This actually had a huge budget compared to Ralph's other work. Uh, this had a budget of about 30 million dollars. It only made about 14 million at the box office. Came out in uh, July 10th, 1992. Uh, it uh, starred by uh, or starred uh, mostly the main character in it is Brad Pitt. Uh, Kim Basinger is in this. Gabriel Byrne, a bunch of others, uh, but it's um, it's it's set in the mid '40s uh, with a World War II veteran Frank Harris uh, in in it. And uh, I don't really want to break down the plot too much. It's it's kind of hard to describe uh, in a way too. Uh, but uh, you, uh, it's again uh, very much a, a Who Framed Roger, Roger Rabbit kind of situation. Uh, the visuals are, are very cool. The combination of live action and uh, animation, although some of the critics claimed it wasn't very convincing, uh, that it um, 
it, it, um, it doesn't, um, you know, the blending of them doesn't work as well as it did maybe later in uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting movie. I'm going to play a clip from this one or a trailer to it as well. Uh, but I, w- I would definitely seek this out. It's probably, like I said, one of his bigger movies uh, besides probably Lord of the Rings or, or well-known ones. Uh, but, yeah, a great movie? No. Interesting movie? Definitely. So uh, here's a, a trailer clip to uh, Cool World from uh, 1992. During his 10 years in prison, Jack Deeps created his own world. It made him very successful. You're Jack Deeps, the creator of Cool World, right? I can't believe this. Now he thinks he's going home to the real world. But he's wrong. Real wrong. Welcome to my world. You're not in Kansas anymore! Freeze. Cool world police. I'm a cartoonist. I drew all this. This place exists with or without you. Get a little closer here, babe. Give us a kiss. Go away. I'm out of here. I've been waiting for you, darling. Noids do not have sex with doodles. It's the oldest law in cool world. If that happens, you call me. I got it, boss. Since it's only a dream, indulge your fantasies. Man is in the bedroom. Are you gonna follow the rules? Or are you gonna follow your instincts? You're about to make an unscheduled trip to the other side. Buster. This is gonna be the biggest disaster the cool world has ever seen. Stop! Cease! Nobody's gonna stop me now. You look good in the flesh. It's almost a shame I gotta take you back. I just wanna be real. Gotta slow down. Not on your life, pal. Enough, <laughs> fatty. You kidding? This place should be erased. Hey, <laughs> it's a living. Cool world. We may not be real to you as yet, but we will be. Yeah, Ralph had wanted uh, at one point uh, Drew Barrymore for the. The Holly character instead of uh, Kim Basinger, but he ended up with Kim instead. Um, he was also going to have Brad Pitt play the uh, animator, uh, the comic book uh, creator of Cool World character, but swapped that with Gabriel Byrne, who played that character, and then he played Deebs. Brad Pitt did. And I don't know if you could tell from the trailer, but the the way this movie works is that there's this uh, animated world that um, that the comic book creator had made. And uh, there's a swap between both the animator goes into the comic book world and people from the comic book world comes into the real world. So uh, some things that are, are, have been done in other movies, TV even, uh, but I think was done here uh, very well. I like this movie and, and find it fun and, and kind of interesting and good music. It, it's it's um, people really seem to not like it. Also, you know, the, the reviewers and stuff did not like it, but... I, I like what it's trying to do. Did it do it perfectly? No. But again, I think this, the, the thing about Bakshi stuff is that if you're looking for a perfect movie or, or you know, a very clean, slick movie, you're not going to get it here. Oh, I should say there was a big uh, space of time where Ralph didn't do a lot of movie work. 
he he's a pretty good artist obviously he's done a lot of painting for years you know for like about 10 years he didn't do a lot of movie work so he so he was doing a lot of uh art stuff painting and and selling some of them and that so kind of took a break and then went back and did some movies again and he's done some tv like i said and there's other stuff that i'm not i've i've kind of glossed over and haven't covered as much um but uh but yeah i think uh he's a really interesting artist you know artist as in a you know an artist of making movies an artist in real life and uh i think well well worth if you're if you're a movie buff if you're a fan of animation uh, definitely check out some of this uh, this stuff from Ralph Bakshi if you've never seen it, especially things like the Lord of the Rings movie, uh, Wizards, Cool World, uh, even Fritz the Cat if you're up for something like that. Uh, the, these things are, are just very different and, and I think unique and not something you get on <laughs> every day. And, and I, uh, I, I try to, uh, as, as kind of a movie buff, I try to see a lot of different things. There was a period of time every now and then I get into watching very old movies you know from the 30s and 40s and then you know some animated stuff or some old sci-fi movies comedies you know from the 50s I mean just just I think if you're a fan of films uh, Ralph Bakshi's work is 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 definitely something you want to watch and, and put on your list so uh okay so there's my soapbox to watch uh, Bakshi movies and he, he's he's he does divide people a little bit. There are some people who don't really care for his stuff. They think it's kind of juvenile. And I could see that. I can understand their their point with some of the things that he's doing. But I also think he puts a lot of himself into what he does. A lot of his uh, upbringing and background and, and, and time growing up certainly pops up in his work. And, and I always think that if you're if you're doing, you know, art and work from from a very personal side of you, I think it can only be interesting and, 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 and worthwhile because that's, that's who you are. So, uh, all right, let me take a very short break and I'll come back. I'll run down what's coming up on the podcast for the next few weeks and then we'll, uh, we'll get out of here. Okay, so coming up on the podcast, Treks and Sci-Fi for the next few weeks. Next weekend, I'll be a guest spot with uh, Mark. will be here with a, a film from the early 70s, one of my favorites uh, of that era with Bruce Dern called Silent Running, which I could have sworn I had done a podcast on, but I, I know I did uh, a kind of a podcast where I caught, talked about three or four movies that I enjoyed a lot, and I, I know I've mentioned it before, but he's going to cover that movie. Uh, next weekend and uh, in two weeks back here I'll be uh, broadcasting like I was saying earlier we're going to cover the second season of Rebels we're going to review that and talk about it over on Star Wars Stacks and they'll release the episode and I'll release it as well so if you listen to both podcasts you really won't need to listen to both again you know we it'll be the same show uh, but uh, that'll be in two weeks and then on the let's see that'll take us to May 1st which is going to be a video cast. I'm going to do another video cast about Star Trek fan films. It's been a long time, five, six years, since I did my last look at Star Wars fan films and Star Trek fan films. I did a couple of video casts around 2010 on both of those things. 
I, I very much enjoy fan films. I know some people like them, some people don't really watch them, and this is my way of trying to get people in tune and watching some of the the great Star Trek fan films that are being made these days because there's some really good stuff, and I don't think you I think you're losing out if you don't sit down in front of YouTube and watch them or Vimeo or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, that's coming up in the next few weeks. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. A little something a little different. Uh, Ralph Bakshi is is somebody that I've wanted to talk about for a while, and I think I've mentioned it briefly once in a once in a while uh, over the years uh, doing Treks in Sci-Fi. But I, I I had a lot of fun kind of reminiscing, going back in time and and looking at some of this stuff, which uh, which I feel is worthy of your time. So everyone, take care. You can always contact me treksf at gmail.com check out uh, my uh, promotion or uh, support for the show over on patreon.com forward slash treks in sci-fi uh, to donate a dollar two three whatever a month uh, help support the show help support the new set and and all that uh, vimeo.com forward slash trekkie you can see videos related to the show so i guess that's it i'm gonna get out of here thanks for listening mark next week with silent running and i'll talk to you in again about two weeks uh, with a look at rebel season two so take care everyone bye-bye for now you've been listening to tricks in sci-fi with rico dosti and other special guests we would love to hear from you write to us today at trek sf at gmail.com that's trek sf at gmail.com space the final frontier these are the voyages of the starship enterprise 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 it's continuing mission to explore strange new worlds strange new worlds to seek out new life and new civilizations Visit the website today at www.treksinsci-fi.com. Treks in Sci-Fi is a Rico Dosti production. Copyright 2012. All rights reserved. Treks in Sci-Fi. This has been a Rick Dosti podcast production.